Good morning again. Our scripture for this morning's message comes from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 5. On here. Hello, hello, hello. Better. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. Whoa, there we go. Now we're good. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the fact that it is living and it is active. And God, I pray that you would do your work upon each person who is here today. God, you know which condition you find each of us in, whether that's encouraged or joyful or sad or, or mourning or, or anxious. Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. So I pray that you would meet us right here. God, it's not an accident that we've gathered here together. You've brought each one here for a purpose. And I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. What is the secret to happiness? This is a question that's plagued philosophers throughout the decades. But it's a question that each of us lives our lives by in some way, shape, or form. How can we be happy? I think most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of the decisions that we make in life are geared toward that end. We, we want to be happy. So if you picture life kind of like a, a target range and you're pulling back your bow, the target that you are aiming at, that you hope to arrive at, is happiness. I think that's fair to say. Now, happiness, there's a lot of people who have a lot of things to say about this. I think if, we, if you lift it up to the top of the thing, maybe... My clicker working here. Hey, there we go. Or did you do that? That was me. All right, well, let's start out with this profound thought from the great Peter Pan. Think happy thoughts. And we're going to go through these, and, and, and I want you to, it, it sounds maybe a little silly, a little trite, but 
I want you to see where you identify on this spectrum of, of people and, and thinking about happiness. Peter Pan says, just have a positive attitude. He says, you know, if you're at the free throw line and you want to make that free throw, just picture it going in again and again and again, and it's eventually going to go in. So just sort of this indomitable spirit. All right. Another gentleman by the name of <laughs> Dr. House says, everything stinks. Might as well find something to smile about. That could have easily gone the other way, I'd imagine. Everything stinks, so why smile about anything? But he thinks that, you know, like, we don't need to hide the fact that life is very, very difficult, and there's a lot of challenges, and it gets dark. So, you know what? You may as well, like, suck the marrow out of life while you can. philosopher by the name of Epicure. <laughs> he says that pleasure is the aim. And by pleasure we mean the absence of pain in the body and of trouble in the soul. So he is saying that the, the main way to get happiness in life is to avoid, is to avoid pain at all costs and seek out, seek to maximize your own pleasure and minimize pain, basically. So if you live a life that is kind of insulated from anything painful, every decision in life is geared toward making that happen, sort of buffering yourself from the pain. And we have this gentleman by the name of Aristotle who says that to be happy takes a complete lifetime, for one swallow does not make a spring. Aristotle says that you can't know that you've had a happy life until you get to the end of it and look backwards in the rearview mirror. And you see, okay, now I can look back on the scope of it and I can realize and recognize that this life was, in fact, a good one, a happy one, a life well, well lived. And one swallow does not make a spring, meaning just because you've had a few fleeting pleasures in life, contra the first person, Epicurus, who says that it's all about pleasure, Aristotle says that it's, it's not just about that. Just because you have one fleeting pleasure, that does not make for a happy life. So happiness is to be found in essentially cultivating virtue. Blaise Pascal, French philosopher, says, If our condition were truly happy, we should feel no need to divert ourselves from thinking about it. He said this centuries ago, before we had televisions and the internet and uh, our cell phones on us 24-7. What he's pointing to is the fact that we continually feel this need to divert ourselves from our own lives. He says that indicates a deeper sense of discontent within us. And then, of course, there's Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast who says, it'll all turn out all right in the end. You'll see. You'll see. It's going to be rough. We're going to hit some bumps but on the road, but, you know, the end kind of justify the means. This is what Mrs. Potts says. So today we are talking about happiness, and Jesus, in fact, in our text for this morning, he's at the sermon. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So he's on top of a mountain, and he has all of his disciples gathered around him. And what he's telling them is this series of, of sayings. He's saying, blessed are, blessed are. And th this word blessed, it, it means to be in a state of happiness or bliss. So Jesus is telling us, he's saying, happy are these people for this reason. Happy are these people for 
this reason. So Jesus is going through, and he's, in a, in, a, in a sense, a very real sense, he's telling us the secret to happiness. This is what the happy, full life as God intended looks like. So that's what we're going to go through today. We're going to, the Beatitudes of, of Jesus, we're going to take the first three this morning, we're going to do the next three next week, and the week after that we'll do the last three, because there are, there are nine of these Beatitudes. So the very first Beatitude is, Jesus says, Happy or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we talk about poor, we're not talking so much about people who are physically in poverty. Remember, what Jesus is speaking of is those who are poor in spirit. So it doesn't have a whole lot to do with how much you may have in your bank account, in your wallet on, on any given day. Because the reality is that you can be spiritually prideful as a rich person, and you can also be very spiritually prideful as a poor person. It's easy to wear kind of that poverty as even a sort of badge of honor and to, to be like, well, I, I don't have all this stuff, therefore I'm, I'm better. So it's, it's not about physical uh, riches. So wherever you fall on that spectrum, this is, has to do with spiritual riches and a willingness to declare your own spiritual bankruptcy. That's what we're talking about, your own spiritual bankruptcy. John Calvin had this to say about, about this particular passage. He said, He who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on the mercy of God is poor in spirit. This is what it looks like to be poor in spirit, to be reduced to nothing and to rely only upon the mercy of God. There's a song that Marigold has been singing. She sings a lot of songs these days. This one in particular, she can't get it out of her head. And because of that, that means the rest of our family can't get it out of our heads. But it's a good song. They've been singing it in Sunday school. You can help me out here. I can't sing, but it's like, uh, fill my cup and let it overflow. Fill my cup and let it overflow. Yeah. Fill my cup and let it overflow. Let it overflow with love. There you go. So, this idea that she is, that's encapsulated in this little kid's song is incredibly profound because what it's saying is that we are asking God to fill our cup. And the only way God can do that is if our cup is empty to begin with. As if we come to him knowing that we are spiritually bankrupt and that we don't have goodness to offer in and of ourselves but only can receive what he has for us. In February of 1546, Martin Luther was on his way back from disputing a, from resolving a dispute between warring parties, which he, he kind of did between fighting people who were having this disagreement. He did a lot of this toward the end of his life. And as he was doing this, on his way back, he was with a good friend of his, Justice Jonas, and Martin Luther started to have uh, chest pains and some pains in his chest. And the first attack passed rather quickly, but very soon another one kind of overcame him, and it became very clear that he was nearing the end of his earthly life. 
And so he was, he was laid down, and this, this friend of his, Justice Jonas, who was a fellow pastor, he said, Luther, are you ready to die for the faith that you've lived your life upon? And are you ready to, to die in Jesus Christ, in the gospel? And he said, well, yes, yes, I am. But before he breathed his last, Martin Luther took a pen, and he wrote on paper one last time the final words of the great reformer. He said... We are beggars. That is true. We are beggars. That is true. Now, if anybody had a right to brag about what they'd done in their life, whether you agree or disagree with Martin Luther and everything that he did, there's no doubt that this man had a giant legacy as he looked back on his life. He started a movement involving thousands of people that would reverberate throughout the entire world. If anyone could have stood on his own two feet and said, Man, I'm kind of the man. It was him. But he didn't. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Second beatitude, happy or blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. John Stott, when he's talking about this, he observes wryly. He says, another way to say this is, happy are the unhappy. Like, the ones who are sad, the ones who are mourning, this is not the way to, to be happy, right? Like, What's, what's going on here? But that's what Jesus is saying is, you are happy if you mourn. Now, Christianity today, at least the Christian circles that I spend the majority of my time in, and I would, I would venture to guess you have as well, we're not particularly comfortable with the idea of mourning or crying or being sad, right? Maybe it's the stoic uh, Scandinavian side of us a little bit. I'll own that. I'm okay with it. But what's being spoken about here is a genuine contrition, a genuine sadness of, of our hearts. And it's interesting to, to see when you look back on the scope of Christianity and you look at, for example, the Psalms, the vast majority of the Psalms were actually Psalms of lament, which means they were psalms of, of sadness, psalms of contrition, psalms of coming before the Lord and confessing how bad things are right now. But we're kind of, I don't know, I can only speak for myself, but we're kind of scared of that. And it's easier to distance ourselves, kind of buffer ourselves away from, <clears throat> excuse me, away from all of, all of the sadness. I don't know if you've, you've found this to be true in your own life, but I have in mind, there, there was one place that I, I lived, and I listened to the Christian radio station there all the time. Wonderful, and I, I listened to it here, too. It's one of my top presets. But at this particular place that I lived, there was something about the aura that was created by the hosts that was, you could, could be described as overly optimistic, bubbly, effervescent, to the point where it felt very inauthentic. And I would listen to this, and at some point my conscience was bothered and I had to shut it off because I recognized this isn't actually real life that's being spoken of here. Not fully orbed life. And yes, it's joys, but also it's, it's sadness and it's sorrows. 
because that's a big part of, of, of what we walk through here on this earth. And so mourning, in fact, is to be a part of the Christian life. And, and it's not necessarily a physical mourning, right? It's, it's an inward posture, a mourning of your heart. So here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. If somebody is crying, if somebody is mourning, if somebody is sad, we are to be there with them, connecting ourselves with them to the point that what they are sad about is what we are sad about too. Mourn with those who mourn. But it's a very specific type of mourning that is being spoken of here. It's not just a, a sadness over the loss of a loved one, for example, which would be a terrible enough thing to have to walk through. But actually, it's specifically a mourning over sin. It's confession. It's, it's a contrition. It's, it's a heart that has been overcome by what it has done wrong and brings that before God and is so overwhelmed by it and, and saddened by it that they can do nothing but lay your, lay your burdens down at the feet of, of Jesus. So happy are the ones who mourn. And here's the thing about that. It's not just a sadness or a mourning over our own sins. That's part of it. But this is a sadness or mourning over the sins of others, in fact. And what that means for us is that when we see a fellow sister or brother in Christ struggling with sin, or someone who has had a disgrace publicly or privately, our first reaction should not be judgment but mourning. Deep, deep sadness that they have fallen into the trap of sin. I find myself very convicted by that thought. So happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5, David says this. Interestingly enough, he also uses this word blessed, happy, and he says it in this way. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are covered, whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept away my bones, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The reason we, we mourn over our sin is not so that we can wallow in the sadness, but it's because only through doing that can we receive forgiveness. Can we receive the comfort that God brings us through His words? Happy are the meek. This is the third beatitude and the last one for today. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, this word meek 
Okay, this is not one that's, I don't know about you, but I don't use it in my regular vocabulary, right? Like, it's not as if you're setting up your eHarmony profile and you're looking for someone and you say, oh man, look, they enjoy nice long walks on the beach. They're all cool. They're a hunter and, oh, super meek. Awesome. I've been looking for a really meek person. We don't think of it in that, in that way. We tend to think meek as being sort of like wimpy or uh, just be someone who is willing to be walked all over the place, right? And in fact, now that actually made its way into much Christian art of a particular time. This picture you're seeing here is actually called, it's a picture of Jesus, but because it's, it's kind of overly uh, feminized and it's overly... Um, emasculated in a sense. This came to be known as the bearded lady. That's what this picture was called because of the way that Jesus was painted as sort of this gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But that's not actually what the word meek means. Meekness simply means having a true view of oneself. To be meek is someone who knows who they are, someone who is honest about the fact that, yes, I am a human, and I am broken, and I struggle, and, and I wrestle. So, in other words, to, to be meek is to be someone who knows they are a sinner. Apologies, apologies. Thank you for your patience. I'm, uh, I think I, I forgot a slide here. Um, so yeah, meekness is essentially a, a true view of, of oneself. Um, and the really cool thing, or I should say this first, the thing about meekness and having a true view of, one, of yourself and knowing that you are a sinner, there is a difference between being a sinner in theory in being a sinner in fact. Here's what I mean. When we confess, we say a confession of sin. Most of you have been in a church where you've said something along the lines of a confession of sin, where we say, I am a poor, miserable sinner. Something like that, right? And we say these words, and we're, we kind of nod our heads like, yeah, that makes sense. We are poor, miserable sinners. But let me tell you this. If one of you walked up to me after the service and said, Pastor Luke, you are a poor, miserable sinner... I'd probably want to smack you across the face. Let's just be honest here. So that's a sinner in fact versus a sinner in theory. And it's easy to accept the fact that, oh, well, we're all just kind of sinners here. But it's harder, in fact, to be confronted with a particular sin or to say, yes, I am actually this way. And I did this particular thing and I, I don't like it. <laughs> and I'm sorry. And that may be something in... The immediate past, it may be a, a broken relationship, it may be something that happened years and years ago that is very difficult for you to forget. But the thing about meekness, this, this thing about knowing you are a sinner, in fact, and, and let's just double-click on that word sinner for a second. You see, that word sinner is very misunderstood in our day and age because most people hear about sinners and they, they, they hear the word 
you are a sinner. They think in their minds a fire and brimstone kind of preacher, right? Pounding the pulpit and telling all of you people to, to quit dancing and playing cards and watching bad movies or God's going to get you. That sort of thing. But to be a sinner is simply to be a human this side of heaven. To be a sinner is simply to say that you are broken. It's simply to say that you look around and you observe this world is not as it should be. And it's to be willing to be meek enough to admit and to say that there are things I desire to do that I know are good, but I don't always do them. That I feel this, this tug of war going on within me. So that's what the word sinner means. And that's, that's important to, to clarify in our day and age. But the really cool thing about meekness is that it instills compassion. Meekness instills compassion. Because when you know and you have an accurate understanding of who you are and you're not overestimating yourself, that allows you to identify more with the experiences of others when we all know that we're in the same boat. And we all know that we are equally broken and equally in need of God's grace. So having a, a good self-understanding actually generates compassion within you for other people. So just to review where we've been so far. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They receive all these, these riches by declaring spiritual bankruptcy. All the riches of heaven is theirs. And then, of course, there's those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, who are sad, who are contrite over their own sin, because then God can come in with this word of forgiveness and comfort them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then, finally... Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who have an understanding, an accurate understanding of who they are. So that's where we've, we've been. And I, I want to share, as we wrap up, I want to share with you another, uh, it's a paraphrase of the Bible. It's called The Message by a guy named Eugene Peterson. It's not a translation, but it is a message. And I love the way that he words these particular beatitudes. So I want to just read these to you. They kind of put it in contemporary language today. So this is the first one. He says, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. Number two, you're blessed when you feel you have lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Then finally, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. And not just content with who you are, but with what that means is being okay admitting that you are a sinner. Being okay with that and embracing your identity this side of heaven and embracing your need for Jesus. You see, what the Beatitudes are, as an old pastor friend once told me, they're not a spiritual to-do list so much as a spiritual done list. 
Not so much a spiritual to-do list as much as it is a spiritual done list. These are not a list of virtues for us to seek after in hopes of attaining some heavenly prize, right? It's not as if we say, okay, well, uh, I would like to inherit the earth. How should I do that? Well, I better go and be really, really meek. Or I want to be, you know, I want to receive the riches of the kingdom of God. Therefore, I need to go and try really, really hard to be poor in spirit. That's not what this is. These beatitudes are a description of those who are in Christ Jesus. It's saying this is who you are. This is the reality of your life now. When you are in Christ, all of this is yours. Because when we think about Christ Jesus, when we think about each of these beatitudes, the poor in spirit, the ones who declared spiritual bankruptcy, this is Christ himself who came to earth as nothing, leaving everything from heaven behind, becoming poor and needy for our salvation. And we think of those who mourn. Jesus himself was fully human, not just fully divine, but fully human. That means he felt and experienced everything that we do in this life as well. And that means that he mourned over his friend Lazarus when he died. And that also means that Jesus, he mourned over the sins of Jerusalem. He grieved with them over their sin and over their waywardness and their rebellious hearts and unwillingness to come to him. And Jesus was meek. In fact, that very word is, is actually used of him. We're in Luke chapter, excuse me, chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 42. Wrong passage, I'm sorry. We're all over the place today. But Jesus is the one that carries our, our burdens, and he is called gentle and humble in heart. And this word gentle is the same word used for being meek. So at the cross, Jesus becomes all of these things perfectly for us, for you and for me. Now, here is the thing. Here's the wonderful thing about Jesus. Is he doesn't just say that he's good. He doesn't just tell us we are forgiven. He invites us to taste and to see that the Lord is good. In just a few moments, you'll be invited to come forward to, to take communion. And at the communion rail, you have the opportunity to receive the blessings of God. His love, His care, His forgiveness. To have our faith strengthened by Jesus Christ. So as we remember that today, my hope and my, my prayer for each and every one of you is that you would come knowing that there is no one too unworthy, there is no sin too great, there is no failure too great that God cannot and has not covered.
So if that is you, if you recognize your great need today, you are welcome at the table this morning. Amen.